Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm truly excited to have Pierre Dr. Sarge, who's the founder of Uncapped, where entrepreneurs raise capital without giving up control of the business. Uh, Uncapped has raised funding uh, of $120 million for investors like Muro Capital, Seed Campbell Lake. Lakestown, among others, they offer growth capital from uh, uh, $10,000 to $10 million for a flat six-person fee without credit checks, personal guarantees, warrants, security of interest. Peter has earlier worked for Google, Finch Capital, Dean Capital, and has done his MSc business from London Business School. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So, uh, you know, you have an interesting journey. You, you did your master's from London Business School, and then you went on to work for Google, uh, and you're working through VC companies. How how did that interest happen in uh, to get into the crazy world of uh, venture capital and startups? I know I was always always super passionate about technology. I was very privileged to have a computer from when I was very very young. I remember I think I was like four year old when my parents bought the first computer, not for me but for them. I think my mom my mom was she's an accountant and she was doing some accounting on the computer. And um, it was a scary time because I remember there was no even Windows. You had the Microsoft DOS. And, you know, my parents, they were afraid to even use it, not to touch, you know, but I was a very curious kid. And I was always very passionate. And then my mom saw this passion. So one day there was this, like, in my, I lived in a small town in Poland. There was this um, summer class. I was six-year-old, but there was this, like, summer class for the kids who were, like, 12-year-old to do programming, like, you know, to do like, you know, basic, like QBasic, um, I think it was a programming language. And my mom brought me to the teacher and she like said, hey, can I, can you take Piotr for a class? And she was like, hey, these kids are twice old as him. Like, there's no way he, he can take the class. And I was like begging her, please just give him a chance, give him a chance. And she took me in and like, I literally like, I loved it. I was the best in class, like, like immediately. And I started to program. So, so uh, this lady, she, she was, she became my tutor, and like she was teaching me how to program since I was six. Like every week, I was driving to her, and and we were program doing programming in Basic and Pascal. And you know, I was always passionate. But then, you know, when the uni time happened, I I wanted to do robots. So I applied to do automatics and robotics. But my mom, an accountant, she was like, "Hey, Piotr, you should do finance instead. There is no job uh, in in when you finish robotics." Okay. So I listened to her, and I got the job in in got the got accepted to the uni to do finance. But I missed it so much. So then I after on the second year, I joined the, another uni, and I was doing I was learning computer science. But I didn't finish because I already started to work at the time, just too busy. So then a couple years later, I'm in London, finished the business school. I went to the bank. Uh, I hated my job in a bank. Like and after one week as an investment banker, I knew it was for me. So after a couple months, I applied to Google and I don't know, there was a, it was very liked me. It was a really good match. I think, you know, they, they loved my passion for technology and, and, and yeah. And like the day I got my bonus in bank, I, I quit the job and joined Google. And since then I'm in tech. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting story, and you know uh, how did how did your venture into uh, you know you've been to a few uh, venture funds, uh, and uh, how did how did that lead to your start with Uncap? Oh, it's a it's a long story, but you know uh, I was in a few funds because uh, I think I'm a very rebellious person in general, and I think I'm a terrible employee. I think I would never ever hire myself. 
Um, so, you know, the good thing about VC job is a pretty independent job. You can do what you want, more or less, kind of. Um, but still, you know, I, I often had a bit different vision than my boss for, you know, what to do, how to, how to run the company. And so I was changing jobs quite often. I think while in Google, it was fine. I was there for four years, but later, like after like two years, one year, I was quitting the job. And I, I was, and I think my third fund, and I realized actually this is not for me. Like I, I can't do this. I have completely different view. Like I wanted to do very different deals. And I was like, there's no way I can raise my own funds at this time. Like I'm still too junior. What can I do in my life? And um, I realized that, you know, I met all these founders who are looking for capital and they, 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 they were like raising equity to spend money on Google, Facebook advertising by inventors. Like it's stupid. Like they're so inefficient. Like everyone is doing that. These guys are only funding with equity. And then I saw, you know, what the... Uh, PayPal Capital is doing Shopify Capital. It's like, hey, this is this is this is where our future is. But mm-hmm. this product was not available in Europe, so I was like, hey, I'm gonna quit my job and and build this business in Europe. And you know, so I did it. And two years later, here we are. Yeah, that's, I think that's super fascinating because uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, a lot of founders give up equity to to buy you know Facebook and Google Ads and you know Jamal is also who's the director of Facebook. He, he talked about it, that you know it's it's not going to it doesn't make much sense. But uh, but you know what what type of businesses does uncapped uh, service and you know what type of businesses uh, would work on uh, on uncapped models? So I think the business which fit our model best is any e-commerce or SaaS business which has a proven in the economics and is growing, you know, this is the companies which we know that we know we can spend hundred thousands of dollars, pounds of Euro, and we will make 120, 140, 150, 200,000 back on it. All we need is just like, we have this machine. Now we just need the capital to put money to this machine. And historically we had to go to the VCs and VCs were like, oh, I like this machine. I'm going to put the money there. But now we are saying to them, hey, don't go to them. Don't, don't give up his equity. It's the most expensive form of capital you can give. Come to us. You know, we connect with our data. We analyze it. And, you know, next day we give you an offer and, and you can grow a business. If you have a bank account, you can grow a business without, without dilution. And, and, and is there any consideration for funding that, you know, they need to have an X amount of, uh, you know, revenues in, in, the, in the company? Usually, we require companies to have minimum 10,000 uh, of revenue a month. Okay. However, you know, I have to say we do already make some exceptions sometimes. You know, when we see the tremendous destruction, you know, when you see the client company doing 10, like, you know, 5,000 second month and, you know, great daily trajectory, you're like, hey, I, we'll, you're going to get there. We're going to help you anyway. Uh, but, you know, usually we would like to see this, this like first real traction of 10,000 a month. Oh, okay, and and how many how many companies have you have you helped in the last you know two years? We don't disclose it today, but what I can say is that you know we now deployed more capital than most of the European VC funds uh, had. You know, like it's in uh, hundreds of millions, and you know it's a, it's a really um, uh, you know really amazing traction we we uh, we see so far. Correct, and you know for first stage founders. Uh, uh, would you advise them to go for debt financing uh, or, you know, uh, do you think, you know, what sort of expenses are good to use for debt or, or you know, versus equity? Listen, I think um, equity plays a very valuable role in the ecosystem. And if you're, 
you always have to think, what type of risk are we trying to fund? Are you doing a product discovery? Are you building a new product? Are you investing in research and development? Are you trying out new tunnels? Then, you know, it's very risky. And this is when you should go to the VC funds, angel, whatever, and use their financing. However, if you have de-risked it and you know what you have proven economics and you know that your business works, then it's a time to speak someone to go to someone like us and you know use us to um to go to scale our business. Correct. And uh, uh, you know uh, the, the VC industry has not been uh, disrupted for for a long, long time. Do you think you know it's up for disruption, especially with new models like uh, like yours and you know the ICOs, which unfortunately didn't really work out. But do you think it's up for disruption now? I think um, I think every industry is disrupted. You know, we we don't see ourselves as a competitors to VC. You know, I think you know we we think we we live in the symbiosis. You know, we have a we have a whole team dedicated to the relationship with venture capital funds, and you know we love working with them. Um, the truth is, though, that even VCs, I think, they are disrupted by themselves. Look at what you know, Tiger Global is doing, and you know, the, the, I think competition is good. I think competition is amazing in every single market because actually it helps to grow the market, you know? Um, and the VC, people are worried that, you know, there's more VCs and, and you know, how tough it is to do the deals, but it only means there's more f- companies being created and more opportunities for VCs to, to, to help build uh, amazing companies. I think this industry has to change, has to be more data-driven, has to be more faster. Founders shouldn't waste, you know, six months or nine months like it used to be to, to raise a fund, raise a round, you know? Right. If you can get the data and analysis, you should be able to do it in a couple of days and, you know, give, 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 give funds to the founders instead of, you know, drag them through hundreds of meetings and waste their time. Right, got it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I believe that, you know, VCs add a lot of value because, uh, you know, uh, founders who want expertise and, and experience on how to, how to build and grow the company. I think that, that works well. But uh, are you concerned by, uh, by uh, the, the CAC, uh, uh, you know, the cost of acquisition of, of, of getting a customer is, is increasing uh, on traditional platforms? And, you know, what do you think is, is a way around uh, for e-commerce and SaaS companies? Uh, for the e-commerce and SaaS companies to, to acquire the customers more effectively? Right. I think good companies always will find a way to uh, uh, to grow their business. You know, may, you know. I think you always had the traditional platforms like Facebook, Instagram, but you know, like the most innovative companies always find 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 the new ways. I still think that you know, TikTok probably for many consumer brands is completely uh, underappreciated and, and unused. Right. Uh, but you know, the best brands, you know, always find find something else. You know, big influencers be the product, be it the, the customers themselves. Um, I think that the best acquisition channel is, is your product at the end of the day. And you know, like if, if, if you are in a consumer brand, you should, be, you should be getting a lot of referrals from the current users and, and they should be you know, tell, saying, telling about your product to their friends and you know, making sure um, and bringing, bringing them as, uh, on board as your customers. Got it. And, uh, you know, coming back to the point where, uh, you know, uh, if you look at uh, alternative financing or debt financing, uh, there, there's sometimes a potential loss of, you know, advisors and, and uh, board members. Now, you know, how, how can, you know, founders who are looking at debt financing, how can they, uh, you know, mitigate the loss of, uh, of these advisors? I always thought that, you know, the idea of um, your investor being your advisor 
Yeah. Uh, it's not really a great one. Like, like the investor has a bit different incentives than you. Why would you have someone with different incentives to advise you? You should have someone who's fully aligned with you as your advisor. So, you know, if, if you are worried about taking that, make sure means you don't get any advisors, I would say find better advisors. Find people who actually really believe in you and want to help you rather than want to benefit or, uh, from you. And I think you can find advisors independently from finding investors. Got it. Uh, so uh, would, would you advise founders to have more operators uh, in, in, their, in their advisory board? Yeah, always. I think, you know, having operators is always valuable. You know, we always love, we love to have people with uh, some specific experience, you know, as our advisors, be it formal or informal. You know, I, I have been privileged to work with a lot of amazing people who, who helped us on many stages of a business. And, you know, like another thing about this is, is like, as your business scales, you need different types of people. But advisor was great when you were starting. It's, it's a very different advisor you need when you are a much bigger company. Um, so it's important, you know, to be able to change them or, or add new ones, have a broad network of them, you know, someone who's helping you, helping you in marketing is someone different than someone helping you with people projects or, um, or hiring or uh, technical development. Right. And, uh, you know, this is for uh, D2C brands and uh, obviously like uh, SaaS companies also, you know, what, what suggestions would you have for them if they want to go from, you know, seven figures to nine figures? Uh, would you suggest them to go uh, in, into physical stores as well? Or would you suggest them to keep it online only? I probably, I have to say, I don't know. I think, I guess it depends. I think, you know, I see more and more companies being successful on my channel. So I think there is a big opportunity there. At the same time, it's a completely different business model. And, you know, like mm-hmm. it might defocus you from your current operations. I think it really depends uh, what are you doing. You know, some people, some companies prefer to build physical stores, other go to the partners. And, you know, if you're a clothing company, you can either go to Macy's or Selfridges, or you can okay. build your own store. And this is, you also uh, have offline presence, or maybe you do it completely differently. Um, I think, you know, you should really evaluate it on the case-by-case basis. Got it. And, you know, why, why do you think there, there's so many opportunities in the, in the D2C space? You know, a lot of people are quitting their jobs and they're building, uh, you know, companies on uh, platforms like Amazon, eBay. Uh, why do you think there's been such a, such a big boom in the last five years, especially? Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing instructions and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. That's a great question. I think um, it's a combination of, of several factors. First of all, is customer habits, right? Customers are... Uh, are used to online. Like I think 10 years ago, it was much more, com- uh, people were not used to buying online, but also it was much harder. You know, now the checkout flows are optimated. Your car- credit cards are secure, but the, the delivery network is super efficient. You can get, you know, stuff delivered within a day sometimes even. Uh, it's so much easier to buy things. You know, you have Apple Pay and Google Pay. It's, it's so much so much easier to the checkout. Um, the devices are much more popular, you know, in the past, 
you only had a computer, which you use probably like once a day, you know, for an hour and you were not online. Now you have your phone with you all the time and to buy, a, to buy something is just a, two clicks away. Um, so, so that's one thing. Second thing is product innovation. You know, I think that, you know, with more and more startups being successful, more people are inspired to challenge the status quo and create new, better products. I think we, you know, we encapsulate so many amazing brands from cosmetics to clothes to some, you know, uh, sports goods and, and anything else, really um, challenging the status quo and, and, and b- making things more beautiful, more practical, or cheaper or just better than, than, the, the, than the current products. Corporations, you know, are, are very not innovative. And I think people are tired of uh, buying all the clothes in Zara and, and other big chains. They want to be more individual. They want higher quality products at the same price. All right. And, uh, uh, you know, coming back to e-commerce platforms like Amazon and eBay, do you, do you also help those uh, founders and do you help those businesses? Uh, because, you know, I used to run a DLC brand, which was just on Amazon platform as well as on Shopify, but uh, because of the funding issues, you know, I had to, uh, I had to shut shop. But, but uh, do you also help these companies and what are the sort of metrics do you look at? Yeah, I think, you know, we have several companies operating both on eBay, Amazon and Shopify, Magento, WooCommerce or, or any other any other platform. Um, I think these are very different kind of companies with different di- different di- different uh, different target audiences, different sub, uh, like segment. Thanks. But you know, we we are willing to work with any online business um, actually. So be it SaaS, be it the commerce, but you know, we have insurance companies, online insurance companies. We have we have so many so many interesting companies which are not only the D two C brands even. Oh, interesting. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you talked about uh, uh, the, the growth in the last two years and, you know, you've been uh, remotely working. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, COVID had been an inflection time uh, for, for a lot of startups. And, uh, you know, obviously, for Uncapped, you've seen a huge growth. But what advice would you give to young founders on how do you, how do you cope with tough times? Because uh, there's just too many things happening uh, in the company. Uh, any, any advice for founders? It's a good question. I think um, how to cope with tough times. Find someone to talk to. I think, you know, what really helped me usually is to have some confident, uh, you know, have, have some, you know, trusted advisor or a friend. Uh, ideally, someone who's also a founder who you can talk to. Often you don't even need advice, but, you know, it's um, just good to, good to have someone to explain your thoughts, explain your thought process, get an external perspective. Um, get sleep and exercise. I think, you know, I always notice that when I'm not sleeping and it, it's really impacting my, my energy levels, my mood, and I'm, uh, I'm getting much more stressed about the things uh, when, when this happens. Um, it's easy to say to do, but I would also encourage founders to think that they are, they are more than their company. I think when you're a founder, it's so much, so easy to tie your identity to the company you're building. Yeah. You have to remember that it's not true. You are more than just a company. You know, the company might fail or be successful, but you are you, and you are an independent person. So try to you know try to you know try to get some some excellent perspective. Um, also, think it comes with time. You know, I, I noticed that you know over time, I'm I think you get more uh, used to ups and downs and this 
crazy founder or coaster and and you you handle things better right yeah no i think i think this is a great advice and um, yeah, you know uh, when when you started off you had uh, you know less resources but over time you know your resources have have, have gone up but how do you evaluate decision your making process from when you were a small company to you know to now uh, 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 in in the growth stage uh, are there any changes in your in your mindset and your decision making framework when it comes to making decisions uh, that's an interesting question i think um i think when you're bigger you can put more bets so you know i i always there is an interesting book called thinking in bets and i always yeah. like to you know thinking bets hey like i'm if you're making a decision you're 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 kind of assuming that something will happen and will it be be you'll assume whether it will happen or not or or what the outcome will be i think the bigger you are the more bets you can afford or uh, more riskier bets you can take because suddenly like hey it's it doesn't matter any much so you know um you can for example bet on uh, when when you start there's only a very limited number of features you can build and you have to make sure they are the right features if you're bigger you can have you know more people working on some crazier bets like this feature or this product may completely fail but it's okay because i have rest of a business which is um supporting me or 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 making so i think i think you know um it's important to understand when you're bigger or what what decisions are really, really material and like this is a decision where you cannot make a mistake or whatever this or which parts of a company are complete bets and you you are willing to um, to lose them and i think you have to evaluate them very differently i think a startup speed is very important and like if the decision is a decision which can be reversed or is in a bigger scheme immaterial you should be very very fast in taking a decision because taking time it actually costs you more than the negative outcome of the decision however if this decision is like a one day door and you cannot fix it and it will have a really much impact on the company most of the decision you have to f- take much more time thinking on and you have to make sure you do it right uh, interesting uh, you, you know you, you talked about speed is important and i completely agree with that but, but do, you, do you think uh, uh, you know decisions can be can be reversible uh, in the sense like you know you've taken a decision uh, a, a big risk but uh, you know how do you, how do you evaluate taking taking risk and you know changing the decisions when you know the risk are not, not in your favor can you can you under can you explain what you mean yeah so uh, you know uh, you, uh, do you think uh, you know decisions can be reversible uh, like you know uh, you you going like you want to enter a new market but then you uh, you for example you fail in that market but do you think such this uh, you know uh, it's it is possible to reverse such decisions of course like this is a decision you can reverse right like hey we are investing we don't see the traction We're shutting down the office we're firing people who are out of the market but for example taking some investor on board no. this irreversible decision once you took him on board you cannot take it um and and you know this is a decision you have to take evaluate very very seriously another decision can be like i don't know you have a sales team and you hire you know several sales people if one of them doesn't work out it's not a big deal like you can you can make more mistakes 
But if you are running a process and you're hiring head of sales and you spend six months hiring this person, and you know this person, like you make a decision, this person will come on board, and this is after like three months, you realize this is a bad decision. Wow, you lost probably nine months plus another many months of hiring. So you lost a year of not having a DP of sales, for example. So this is a decision you actually should be taking more carefully. So you know I'm uh, I'm not a huge fan of you know um, I think when hiring senior people, very often we took uh, much more time than we should have, but usually it really paid back. Like you know I think our head of product took us I think six nine months to hire. Uh, but you know, he he we ended up with really, really outstanding, amazing person. Um so but then you know on the sales side, you know, we did turn for some salespeople because you just can't afford it, you can and this is this is easy fix, easy thing to fix. Very interesting. And uh, you know, coming back to what you mentioned about our talent acquisition, you know, what are what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned when it comes to acquiring talent? Uh and you know what, what you talked about you know taking taking time but uh, what what has worked well in the past for you it's it's interesting you know i said about taking time to hire at the same time for example in most interesting learning for us was you know engineering market is so competitive now yeah. that you know you have to hire an engineer within 48 hours like we now try to for example when the engineer comes in we we try to you know give him an offer within 48 hours from first conversation to the last one um because it's, it's it's such an interesting space i think um what we learned like we are a fully remote company so i think we really learned that amazing people are everywhere um i just checked you know today and we have people in many many countries now and you would even think you know like that you can hire amazing salespeople covering uk market in greece but you can and in many other places um so i think you know when I started a company, I had a, I thought we will always be in the office company. Like we, I thought I couldn't imagine not having employees in the office and not spending time with them and not, you know, overseeing them. Now we are fully remote and we don't plan to have office ever again. That's, that's interesting. And yeah, you know, uh, uh, when you, when you start off early, you, you, you might have gen- generalists who, who, who come on board, uh, but uh, is it possible for have you know early employees uh, uh, graduate themselves to become you know leaders and specialize in one particular role? Of course, I think you know we I think this should be the superpower of every every startup. I think as a startup you succeed because you manage to find these rough diamonds, people yeah. who you know in the mar- they they might have. They might not come from a best school. They might not come from a best company, but you know, um, you identify them as a really high potential people, future leaders, because usually you can't afford the people who on paper look the best because they will go to the investment bank and or, or some consulting company. There's no way you can pay this level of salaries. So you have to find the people who are better than them, but just... Maybe they didn't realize that or the market didn't realize that. And I think this is how you succeed. I think I'm very proud because I think we managed to find a lot of those people. And, and I think this is, this is how, how you build a successful company. 
because these people then find another amazing people because A-level people bring A-level people, but B-level people bring C-level people. So I think you have to be very cutthroat on making sure that people you bring to the company are with A-level people. Got it. And, uh, you know, uh, Uncap is like uh, one of the biggest revenue providers in, in Europe, but uh, are you... Uh, uh, are you in most of the markets in in Europe, or how how do you how do you evaluate you know which which market to enter, and and what are your what are your thoughts on entering into US and Asia in the future? We are already in the US, so you oh, know okay. um, we 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 believe that we can be the biggest um, biggest financial company for startups in the world. We don't see ourselves as an RBF provider or revenue based lender. We see ourselves as a neobank serving startups from the moment they are created to their IPO. You know, we want to challenge the whole status quo of financial industry for these entrepreneurs and help them in, in any way possible uh, as they're scaling. Um, and to do that, we have to be a global company. So, so we don't limit ourselves to Europe and we are already in the US. Oh, interesting. And any... any uh... Any plans to go into into Asia and Southeast Asia in future? No comment. <laughs> Got it. And Pyotr, uh, uh, you know, before the call, you talked about that you know you're fully remote and you you've worked out of or to different places, uh, and um, I believe you're in, you're in Berlin right now. Uh, what's been your passion about about nomadic travel, and you know, uh, how how do you manage your work with with travel? Today, I have an interesting stat for you. Did you know that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x? They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Uh, that's an interesting question. Um... I actually don't travel because of passion. I travel for um, the reason for me not being at home at one place is I think I want to be able to always challenge myself and challenge my thinking. And to do that, you need to meet people from different backgrounds and different places. I think I want to meet founders in different backgrounds in different countries. Uh, I want to, you know get the inspiration from, from, from different locations. And I think if you are in one city all the time, you, you kind of are fall into this, this box and you are not, not uh, you can't touch all these different cultures. Um, how I travel, I've, you know, working remotely now is very easy. Like there's oh, oh, the laptop and, and that's it really. I, um, I think my philosophy is I, you know, I work very hard during the week. So I never travel during the week. I always travel during the, the, the weekend and I change location like once every few weeks. So it's not a big deal. And, you know, it, it allows me to, uh, to meet founders in, in many places and clients, employees um, in different locations. So um, it's very beneficial, I think, for, uh, for someone building a company. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because you know in 2020 uh, a lot of uh, people have gone remote, and uh, but but you know VC investing ha uh, was happening mostly in some of the more important hubs and cities like like London and Silicon Valley. Do you think because of COVID it's going to change and uh, you know uh, 
uh, people can build unicorns out of out of smaller cities and unknown you know startup hubs i think absolutely i think especially with remote work and investors investing remotely nothing limits you from um from building company anywhere you know um i know a lot of people who are building very cool companies in in weird places and and you know i think the real location you're building is online you know the the location is arbitrary i don't know where my people are i don't know where my team is sometimes i have a call with them and they're like i'm dialing in from croatia i'm dialing in from denmark i think we have someone like in a camper van working working with us remotely from a camper van like you know people work from anywhere and i think you i know companies built where founders never met themselves in person and you know these are a successful company worth tens of millions like like i know such a companies i never met most of my investors in person so i think you know the world has changed and i think um it will only keep changing this way all right and uh, you know i quickly want to do the top 3 uh, what's your favorite business book oh plenty um my favorite business book um I like the hard thing about hard things. Of course, you know, I like zero to one. Um, I like intelligent investor. Um, I have a, I have a huge, huge list of great, uh, great business books. I try to read everything, everything new in this, in, in, in this subject. The another category of books I really like is like biographies. So I really liked some Walton's biography. Uh, and I think, I think, you know, it's a bit older book, but I still have recommended uh, to everyone to read for everyone to read right, mia i think uh, all, all of these are the great books and hard things about things is is one of the most mentioned uh, favorite books by, by investors and and and, uh, and founders alike and uh, you know if you could go back in time when you started working on uncap what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently mm. that's a very good question i think um I think you know when when we were starting um we hit a very difficult moment when the pandemic started i think um when when pandemic hit uh we were we were just start, we were just starting our fundraise and uh, this was the moment when uh investors panicked market panicked yeah. our investors panicked and like everyone we also panicked a bit and we stopped for a moment like we free froze hiring we um, stopped growing as aggressively as we planned i think this is the biggest mistake we've done um because you know of course we had like hindsight 2020 but like it turned out to be the you know such a huge accelerator for the space we are in um right. so i think the one thing i wish i could have changed is just you know keep going as aggressively as we were instead of pausing for the these two three months at the time at the start of pandemic yeah no, i think i think that's a, that's a very interesting insight and uh, do you have any favorite online tools example gmail slack zone i'm sorry say again please uh, do you have any favorite online tools example gmail slack zone oh whatsapp by far <laughs> Um, I think the best way is to reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn, and um, and yeah, if you're happy, I check check both both uh, medium very very often. Um, so yeah, looking forward to connect with everyone.
We'll put that in the show notes. Um, yeah, Prada, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.